If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts 18. As we look today at Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos, these characters, maybe not the most familiar characters, but important characters for us to learn from here uh, today. Uh, we'll start with Aquila and Priscilla and think about them first of all. Aquila came from Pontus, and Pontus there was on the shores of the Black Sea. Uh, the Black Sea is in the news quite a bit. The northern shores of the Black Sea, of course, run into Ukraine and the Crimea. But the southern shores, what today is Turkey, in that northeast corner, corner that is Pontus. So that's where Aquila came from. He, he had lived in, uh, in Rome. Some of the people in Pontus who, in the day of Pentecost, some of the first converts were from Pontus. So some of them brought the message back to the region. Well, if that's when Aquila became a Christian, we don't know. But he moved from Pontus. He lived in Rome for a period of time. And then there was a time under the emperor Claudius when the Jews were expelled from Rome. And it says it was over a dispute over Crestus, which probably means actually Christ. And so maybe there was a disturbance among the Jews, between Jews and, and Jewish Christians. And so the emperor threw the whole lot of them out of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla then went from there, and they came to live in Corinth. And that's where they met the Apostle Paul. So this is a couple who had gone through quite troubled waters, been evicted from a city. I couldn't imagine what that feels like, but it would be an awful experience. But in God's providence, they were now in the right place in Corinth where God wanted them to be in order to meet and to help the Apostle Paul. I wonder, have you ever thought, why has God got you where you are now? Why has God got you living where you are at the moment or involved in what you're at the moment? What is God's plan, if you're a Christian, for how He wants to use you? He has a plan. And it's one of the most important questions we can ask, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is your plan for me where I am now? So let's think about his plan for Aquila and Priscilla. And first of all, we see that they were faithful supporters in verses 1 to 3. And we see, first of all, that they were very hospitable in verse 3. Paul came to live with them. It was good. They, had both, they all did the same trade of making tents. They welcomed Paul into their home. And due to financial constraints, in these early days when Paul was in Corinth, until Timothy and Silas would later join them, at these early days, he had to work with Priscilla and Aquila, making the tents, and then only on the Sabbath did he involve himself in evangelizing, ensuring the Word of God. But I wonder, can you picture the scene in that workshop or outside their home as they were making these tents? Many hours every day of the week except the Sabbath day. Can you imagine what they were talking about in those long hours of conversation? I'm sure they were not just talking about tents. They weren't just talking about the price of fabric. But I'm sure this was a, a daily Bible school for Aquila and Priscilla. In these wonderful days, when they worked together, I'm sure Paul constantly was teaching them 
more and more the truth of God's Word and the truth of the gospel and its implication for their lives. And those days when Paul probably maybe felt frustrated that he couldn't every day go and preach the gospel around Corinth, it was part of God's plan in preparing this couple for what was to come for them. You see, their hospitality, their willingness to open their doors for the sake of the gospel brought them so much blessing. And the same will be true of you and me. If we are willing to step out in faith, if we're willing to open our doors in hospitality for the sake of the gospel, who knows in what amazing ways God can bless us. One of the results of the hospitality that Aquila and Priscilla showed was that later in Ephesus, a church would be established in their home. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, Aquila, and he was probably writing from Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their home. So, in opening their home, in getting the habit of showing hospitality, it resulted in their, a church being established in their home in Ephesus. And you know, if we open our homes in hospitality for the sake of the gospel, who knows what amazing things God could do and bless us with. Our homes are precious. Our homes are our castles. Our homes are our places of security. But we need to drop the drawbridge and be willing to open our homes for the sake of the gospel. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, they not only supported Paul by opening their home, when Paul then left Corinth and traveled to Ephesus, they went with him and supported his work there in verse 18. And later then, when Paul traveled on from Ephesus, they stayed on there to help the church be established. And we see the church was established in their very home. But you see the, how radical it is what they did. They, they were willing to leave their home, leave their business in Corinth for the sake of the gospel. This was, from a human point of view, a risky thing to do. How would they live? How they provide themselves? Going to a, across the sea to a different country. But they were willing to do it because they believed it was God's will for them. And their support for Paul and his work, it wasn't just when it was comfortable for them, it was a sacrificial commitment to supporting Paul and his work. Later on, when Paul was writing to the church in Rome, Aquila and Priscilla are back in Rome. It's probably about maybe about three years after this period. Paul is writing his letter to the Christians in Rome. Aquila and Priscilla at that stage are now back in Rome once more. And guess what? There is again a church meeting in their home, this time in Rome. And this is what he says in Romans 16 about them. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in at their house. 
Do you notice what he says about them? They risked their lives for him. Paul describes this couple as co-workers who even risked their necks for the sake of Paul and the gospel. Now, doesn't this give us our a real challenge if we're Christians here today about our commitment to gospel work, about our willingness to support gospel preaching, gospel workers, and even our willingness to take risks for the sake of the gospel and the sake of gospel work. Max Lucado, in one of his earlier books, which I think are some of his better books, I think it's in God Came Near. He has that picture of Joseph, uh, Mary's husband. And how when he heard that Mary was pregnant and he was wanting to divorce her and to break the betrothal, God spoke to him. And, and really the way Max Zucada put it was, Joseph was really being asked to go out on a limb for Jesus. It was like, the way he pictured it was, Joseph liked it if you climb a tree, and if you climb a tree and you're on a branch and you're close to the trunk, it's nice and firm, it's nice and secure, you're comfortable there. But basically what God was saying to Joseph, I want you to leave the trunk, step out on the branch, go further away, go where the the branch gets a bit thinner, I want you to risk And really, I want you to go so far when the branch is so thin that the only thing that can hold you up will be me. Are you willing to do that? You see, we like things comfortable. We like things safe. But sometimes we need to have the spirit of Joseph. We need to have the spirit of Priscilla and Aquila. Be willing to take risks. Risks for friendships risks even financial times for the sake of the gospel. Faithful supporters, Priscilla and Aquila. And then we see faithful instructors in verses 24 to 26. Paul has, at this stage, gone from Corinth to Ephesus, and now he has moved on from Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla are left in Ephesus to see the work established there. And along comes Apollos, this believer who was from Alexandria. He was from North Africa. And Apollos comes across as a very fervent and a very gifted preacher about Jesus Christ. But when Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they realize there's something missing. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with his preaching, but his preaching wasn't going far enough. And the reason why there is something missing, we see at the end of verse 25, where it says, he knew only the baptism of John, which means he not only knew only the baptism of John, he knew only the the teaching of John. Now, let me explain what this means from a, a diagram that we'll put up here about the different periods of teaching that there are in regards to the Bible. You first of all, the Old Testament. And here, Apollos would have been familiar with this, the the teaching given through the prophets, the Old Testament Scriptures. So you have the Old Testament teaching. No problem for Apollos. He knew that well. But then you come into the early New Testament and the teaching of John the Baptist. And here again, no problem for Apollos. 
He heard John the Baptist teach. He came to faith in the coming Messiah through the teaching of John the Baptist. John the Baptist taught about Jesus coming. Apollos believed in that. But then there's the full New Testament teaching. What Jesus taught, written down by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what the other apostles taught in the New Testament letters. So there's the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, and here Apollos came up short. He had never heard the teaching of Jesus. He had never heard the teaching of the Apollos. Yes, he had the benefits of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament well. He had the benefits of the teaching of John the Baptist, but that is where it ended. Now, Apollos appears... He was a very genuine believer. He was a really good preacher with the knowledge that he had, but his knowledge was limited. His knowledge was incomplete. So Aquila and Priscilla, they're discerning. And you know, when you listen to preachers, one of the discerning things about preachers is not just listening to what they say. I, I, when I'm involved in vacancies and there are hearing committees, they say, listen not just to what they say, listen to what they do not say. So Priscilla and Aquila, they were sharp. They realized there was something that indeed Apollos was not saying. And they go out of the way quietly to help him, to give him exposure to the full gospel. Look there at verse 26, what it says. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So you can imagine the situation. It's a wee bit like the experience they had with the Apostle Paul, but in reverse, where Paul spent that time teaching them. Now they spend the time teaching Apollos what they had learned from Paul and from others. And what we see happening here is genuine discipleship by this couple, this mentoring of this man who needed to learn more. They lovingly and graciously took Apollos under their wings to help him develop and grow in the gospel and in his knowledge. And you know, in a church, we have many people who are involved in a, a similar ministry of discipleship and instruction through our organizations. That's also one of the things, one of the purposes of our small groups. People able to instruct each other and help each other and learn from each other. There's so much that you can benefit from that and also through informal conversations. But this is something to be encouraged. You know, we can just talk about the weather. We can talk about the energy crisis. And we want to get really miserable. We can talk to people about politics and what's going on there. How often, Christian, when you're meeting with other Christians, do you talk about Jesus? Do you talk about your Christian life? Do you talk about serving God? About going on in your faith? We need that mentality of encouraging and helping each other. Sharing and taking time to talk about that which should be most important to us, the things of God. I've got to say the small groups is one of the best places to start learning to do this. But it's important to see what this couple were doing. They weren't just encouraging and chatting. They were sharing biblical truth. They were sharing the truth of the gospel in a clearer way to Apollos. That's something that every believer can do to a different extent. 
Now, we need to be careful that we don't get stuck in our Christian lives. I wonder how long you've been a Christian. How long have you known the Lord Jesus if you're a Christian here today? Have you grown and have you developed to a point where you now can help other people? And yeah, you're not Billy Graham. Yeah, you're not Alistair Begg, but you can help share something about living as a Christian. The writer of the Hebrews says this. We shouldn't be like this. He says, he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And if you follow what the writer of Hebrews says, he goes on and says, what's he going to do? I'm going to just give you milk. Not a bit of it. He says, I'm going to give you meat so that you learn to grow up and become like a teacher of others. You see, it's not about coming to church, just a hearing of wee words that were comfortable. You're coming to a spiritual gym when you come to church. When you go to the small groups, you come to midweek, you're going to the organization. It's a coming to a spiritual gym where the truth goes into you that you're equipped and strengthened to then be able to share that with others as well. So, we have faithful supporters, faithful instructors, and then finally we have faithful preacher in verses 24 to 28. And here, finally, we're going to focus on Apollos for the last few minutes. And here we see seven qualities that we learn about Apollos. He was a, a great preacher. We're told in this passage, so many things about him that help make him into such a wonderful preacher. And we're going to look at these seven qualities very quickly. First of all, in verse 24, he was eloquent. Means he was a sharer of good words. That's what it literally means. He was a good communicator. Now, not everyone has a tremendous gift of communication. Some people have more than others, and certainly those who are involved in formal teaching need to have some level of ability in teaching and communicating. But this is the thing. As I say, you don't have to be a Billy Graham or to be a, a teacher. And often the gift that you have of teaching, it's maybe small at the beginning, but something that will grow and develop. I would hate to have heard the very first talks that I ever did to a Sunday school class or to a youth fellowship all those years ago. So don't think you have to be the finished article, but you do have to have some ability to be able to, to teach and to share. And some people in this church, men and women, have really good abilities of teaching, and some of you may be hiding your lights a wee bit. The second thing is he was competent. He was competent, says in verse 24, in the Scriptures. Literally, it says he was powerful. The word powerful there is a word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. So it literally is saying he was dynamite in the Scriptures. He had a really good grasp of what the Old Testament Scriptures taught, and he had a really good ability at being able to share what they taught. He knew his weapon well. You remember when David went to fight Goliath, and Saul decided to give him his armor and his weapons, and you can imagine the picture. There, young David, a young boy with this 
grown man's, and remember Saul was a big man, big tall man, with all this armor on him, he could hardly move. And he basically said, there's no use me going to fight Goliath with weapons that I don't know how to use. What did he know? He knew how to use a sling and little stones, and he used it very effectively. We need to be people who are competent in Scriptures. We need to be people who know how to use the Scriptures, know them well, know how to share them. Thirdly, we see in verse 25 that he was fervent. The word fervent here literally means he was hot. He was hot in his spirit. This was a man of passion, a man on fire for the things of God. I know of a, a young fellow who was trained for the ministry, and he was struggling with his preaching. And a minister I know who I respect really well, he, he, this was basically his advice to this young man who was struggling in his preaching. He, he basically says, let it get a grip of you. Let it set you on fire and then you'll be able to share it. And you know, whether we're teaching the little totes or teaching adults, men and women, or whatever we're doing, if we don't have a, a passion, if we're not excited by what we're teaching, we're beaten. We're beaten. A story is told about a, a man who was not a Christian man. He was a politician of many years ago. And he went to hear, I think it was the great preacher, George Whitfield. And he was, somebody was surprised to hear that he went to hear Whitfield. He says, why do you go hear Whitfield? Because you don't believe what he teaches. No, he says, but he does. And it was the passion of Whitfield that moved this unbeliever to come and to, to listen. The fourth thing in verse 25, it says that he was accurate. He accurately taught the things concerning Jesus. He was sought to be exact in what he taught, not just content with any sort of shoddy type of teaching. He worked hard of it. He wanted to be correct in what he did. And notice here, the focusing of his teaching was Jesus, because he knew that the only hope for people was not in religion, not in theology. The only hope of people was in coming to know Jesus. So he used the ability he had, he used the passion he had to direct people to Jesus. And if you're not saved, that's why we talk a lot about Jesus. I have a, a friend who went to a very liberal church, and in the Republic of Ireland a number of years ago, and he began to share the, the gospel, and he had real opposition in the church, and a Presbytery Commission was brought in to investigate the situation, and one, you know one of the, uh, the complaints made about him? He keeps talking about Jesus. <laughs> what a wonderful complaint to make about anyone. He keeps talking about Jesus. We need to keep talking about Jesus, because Jesus is the only hope of anyone. So here we have Apollos, a preacher who was eloquent, competent, fervent, and accurate with the knowledge that he had. Remember at this stage, when these qualities are said about him in these first few verses, he had only a partial knowledge of Jesus and the gospel. This leads then to the next quality there in verse 26. He was teachable. 
Now, he was a very gifted man. He was a man with a great knowledge of the Scriptures, but that didn't mean he was puffed up that he had nothing else to learn. He realized he had so much to learn, and he was willing that Priscilla, a woman, no woman would teach a Jew, but he was willing that Priscilla and Aquila together, that they would teach him more and more about Jesus. He was a man of knowledge. He was a man of ability, but he was a man who had a teachable spirit. And because he was teachable, he became a much better preacher and a much better servant of Jesus Christ. Here's a challenge for every one of us. Are we teachable here today? One of the problems, if you are not a Christian, you have a certain belief system. You have certain ideas in your head about how you can be right with God and the person that you are, and you have to unlearn those things that are holding you back. You have to be willing to learn the truth of the gospel, that you are a sinner, that there's a holy God who says you're a sinner, and your only hope is not that you try to be a good person. Your only hope is that Jesus will save you, and you receive His salvation. You need to be teachable. We all need to be teachable, every single one of us. We need to be people who love to learn from God's truth. That's why ministers, we are encouraged to take these study leaves. It says we have to get away the idea of three years in college and then 40 years of ministry, and that's you all equipped after three years. We have to keep learning. We have to keep being sharp in our understanding and thinking. Every believer needs to be teachable. The sixth thing we see is that he was helpful. It's lovely what it says here in verse 27 about how he went to Achaia and how when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So he was thinking about what is my teaching? How can it help believers to go on and to grow in their knowledge of Jesus? How can it help believers go grow in their faith? How can it help believers be more faithful in their walk for Christ? As Paul would later say it in his letter to Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, Paul, in his time in Corinth, the one and a half years he spent in Corinth, he planted the seed, he began the work of grace under God in the lives of many people through what he taught. Now Apollos comes, he doesn't compete with what Paul, he builds on what Paul did, he takes things a bit further. How could he help people? You know, when you're teaching children, teaching young people, you have to think, how can I help people? How can I help them go from where they're at to a better place in their knowledge, in their commitment, in their faith in Christ? We need to be helpful. And then the final thing is he was a contender. Verse 28, Caesar, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And I'm sure what he did was he probably referred to Genesis 3 and how the Bible teaches of how the seed of the woman who will come and crush Satan's head. He referred to what Moses taught about a greater prophet who was going to come. He probably taught about what indeed was said to Abraham, how through his seed all the nations would be blessed. Seed singular. 
He probably taught about David and about how the promises to him of a king who would rule forever. He probably referred to the Psalms, Psalm 22, about the one who would be forsaken, abandoned, and people will gamble for his clothes. He probably would refer also to Isaiah 53 and about the, the servant who was wounded. All these things written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would come. The most powerful evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the eternal Son of God. The Old Testament prophecies that would be fulfilled in him. Here was a man who engaged as a contender, debating with these people, not because he liked a good argument. We have to be careful about that. Not because he liked a good debate, but because he had a passion to see people come and trust in Jesus. He had a burden for these people. And that is why he engaged in this work. Oh, are you a contender? The word a contender, it gives a, a sense of being a bit of an awkward person. You talk of someone being contentious, and there's a wrong way of being contentious. But listen, as Christians, we should be contentious with the wrong beliefs, the wrong ideas that people have that keep them away from Jesus and salvation. We have to be the awkward one at times who say in conversations, and listen, so many of you are nice people, and we don't like to be awkward people. We don't like to be a person who people say they're not nice. But sometimes we have to just be awkward and say, sorry, I don't agree with what you say. I don't believe what you believe. This is what the Bible teaches, and this is what I hold on to. I think of a man I knew, I'm sure I shared this with you before, when I was in Wellington Street as assistant all those years ago. David Alderdice, when he was minister, would go through the front door, and this man would go out the back door, and he never wanted to see the minister. And then, through the death of his wife, he became a Christian. And he was in one of the, the nursing homes. He, he lived in one of the nursing homes after this. And he spent his time listening to Christians' uh, music and listening to sermons. And during the time when Lady Diana died, one of, these, one of the care workers in the home said to him, oh, well, Leisha's happy now. And this man called James, he had a choice. Did he just say nothing and be nice? Or did he be awkward? He chose to be awkward. He just says, listen, I don't know if that is the case. And the lady reacts and says, oh, you Christians, you born-again Christians, you're always judging. And he replied to her, Jesus said, you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's good enough for me. That's the way we need to be awkward. We need to be awkward because people are on the road to hell. It's like they're on the road to going over a great chasm down into judgment. We need to be awkward enough to put barriers on their way to hell and to be willing to engage in conversation. 
as we think of this great preacher that Apollos was and the different qualities that he had here, we need to remember this was no superman. This was a frail sinner like you and I. But he took the abilities that he had. And by God's grace, he worked hard that he would become better in his knowledge and ability. As we look at his life, we can see what Jesus can do. And this is an important thing. What Jesus can do with a redeemed sinner who is committed to him. What can Jesus do with a redeemed sinner committed to him in your workplace, in your estate, in your road, in your school, in your university class? What can Jesus do with a redeemed sinner who says, Lord, what is your plan? What is your purpose for me? Let's pray. Oh, Father, give us the grace that we need. Lord, it's lovely to spend time in these, these three characters who are unfamiliar to us. But Lord, thank you for helping us to just spend a bit of time thinking about them today and just to learn about the different qualities that they had in their lives. We think of Aquila and Priscilla and their, their supportive work, their hospitality, of their gracious way that they helped Apollos and discipled him and brought him on. And we think of Apollos' ability at teaching and his willingness to contend for the gospel. Lord, give us the grace that we need to realize that if we're Christians, you have a plan and a purpose for us to be involved in the work of the kingdom. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.